This is episode 306 of the Wrestling Brethren Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Wiener, along with Seth Zillman and Jared Aubrey. And on this episode, we discuss the latest in pro wrestling, and we break down our own fantasy promotions based on the 2022 draft conducted in episode 294. Hey, OJ Will, get us started. What up? This is Josiah Williams, and you're listening to the Wrestling Brethren Podcast. Where wrestling and pop culture collide. Yeah. We are in episode 306. And we are going to get into some thoughts on the dub and a little bit later on, we will get into our fantasy promotions, finally, based off of the draft we had some 12 episodes ago. But before we can get into all of that, Seth, Jarrett, how the hell are you? Well, I don't have the usual canned beverage this time around. My Mountain Dew is in a bottle, so I will just do this. I hope you guys are all doing all right. I've been sick for six days, but I had to show up to talk about, um, you know, those things called points because, you know, on this show, they matter. Well, don't worry. I have antivirus, so you're not going to spread anything to me. (laughs) Points matter and wins and losses matter like they should. So on Saturday... The WWE had a had a premium live event, a PLE, if you will, known as Extreme Rules. And Jarrett, you uh, sent your picks in. Seth and I had a conversation, and um, yeah, we're gonna get into talking about it. So let's just start where they did with the match that was arguably the best match of the night. And we're talking about the six man tag team, good old fashioned Donnie Brook match featuring the brawling brutes taking on Imperium. Yeah, I would say that was probably the best thing on the show. And, um, the only thing that really bugged me about it was the rapid camera cuts, but they always do that in high action matches. So I guess I just got a little numb to it. I don't know why they had to use the Donnie Brook name. That just sounds like one of those words that maybe Vince McMahon heard and just, uh, oh, yeah, got to use that word. But, you know, we know he's not calling the shots anymore. But everything about this match, other than the jump cutting, was just fantastic. I mean, it, it was basically like, a three-on-three, six-man hoss fight. It wasn't just a hoss fight. It was like, you know, a triple hoss fight. And everything about it was great. You know, the, the heroes got the, uh, or the baby faces got the win. And looks like we still may get more of uh, Gunther versus Sheamus, which I am all for because I absolutely loved that match they had last month. That may have been the best match WWE has put on all year. And I'm, I'm serious when I say that. We'll see if I have it still at the top of my list at the end of the year. But, yeah, yeah, no complaints about that opening match. That, that was amazing stuff. Yeah, definitely the best match on the card for me, for sure. It's pretty rare that when I mean, you're going to hear me a lot tonight go, eh, when it comes to, to match quality as far as the show goes. But this was definitely the best one of the night. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, yeah, we got the you know the, the teaser of, of Sheamus and Gunther, and we got all the – all the shenanigans and six-man stuff going on that happens in, in those kinds of matches. Absolutely hot opener and a great way to start the show. Yes, this was highly competitive, highly physical, and highly entertaining. Uh, and like Seth said, we're going to get Seamus versus Guntar three. Oh no, please. Anything but that. Oh wait, no, I would, I would like that, please. Uh, I don't think they can put this off until mania, but they should give Seamus the intercontinental title at some point. Um, I think the crowd's ready to pop for it. 
and it'd be a nice little cap on his career thus far. You can say he's won every title. Uh, has he ever won the the IC title before? I know he was the no, U.S. champion. No, he has not. Okay. They, if you've been watching, they've been making a big deal that he hasn't captured this title. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't have the time to watch Ron SmackDown every week, so I, I apologize for that. I know somebody's probably yelling at their uh, iPhone right now. They, they hasn't won it, but uh, yeah. So, uh, but if you want to talk points and predictions, we're all off to a hot start at zero and one. <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier. This is one of the ones I was thinking of changing my prediction. It's like when they put the word Donnybrook in the match, it's pretty much, you know, and you know where that word comes from. It's a, it's a, you know, Scottish Irish thing. Right. So it's like, uh, you know, probably, probably could have done the right thing there. I don't, I don't know if you heard last week's episode, Jared, but I said that your prediction sounded like you wrote it backwards, but I was going to go by what you wrote until you corrected me and you never did. It should have been that whatever person won Friday, you would pick the opposite team to win Saturday, not the same team to win Saturday. So that was your uh, downfall on that one. Yeah. Followed by perfect run. <laughs> Next, we had a Extreme Rules match for the SmackDown Women's title. Liv Morgan defending against Ronda Rousey. And this was a little wonky. Yeah, it probably went on a little too long. I know they were trying to make Liv look uh, legit because she really didn't in the previous matches. And I know she had won, but... I'll be brief on it before. They really messed it up when they did her that, that like tapping out while she was pinning Ronda or something like that. And then she tried to defend it like she thought the match was over. So she tapped out after the match was over. That's what she thought she was doing. So, but yeah, she's going to need some repackaging. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll turn her heel. Maybe uh, give her more of an edge. I don't know. But Ronda's back as the champion. And I'm, Thinking it's only a matter of time before she crosses paths with Becky. Yeah, I, I like badass Ronda much better than uh, babyface Ronda. This is the the machine version that that we should have. I mean, she's such a legit MMA fighter. Like, how could you have her anyway else? Um, but yeah, I mean, because pro wrestling, right? So yeah, I I didn't think they were going to have Ronda lose three times in a row. Um, they, like you said, Seth, they tried to make Liv look, um, tougher than, than, you know, than, than what she's been packaged as. Um, so I don't know if she goes away for a bit and then comes back differently or just carry on and, and keep her kind of hovering around the main event area. Um, I'll give them a, I'll give them some credit for, for effort in this one, but I, I think they tried too hard and it didn't really come across that well. Two problems I had with this match. Uh, the baseball bat shots that were so bad you could tell the bat was made out of rubber. <laughs> and uh, the closing sequence, I don't know if Liv was slipping out of the submission holds or Ronda just couldn't secure them in, but that looked god-awful. And I, I don't know exactly what Liv was tapping out to because she wasn't really locked into anything, so... Yeah, a little goofy there, but uh, that could have just been the way I was viewing it. I don't know, but um, I don't know if either you guys caught that at the end. But, um, yeah, it uh, it was what it was. Uh, I also didn't care for her smiling as she was getting her ass beat. Uh, it doesn't make her any tougher. Uh, it worked with Nikki Cross. It doesn't work with her. Yeah. Uh, maybe Liv joins a faction. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, next, we have a strap match. Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross, And for all the hype and hoopla about this, this was kind of meh. I think you could probably say it was the probably the least good match on the show. And I, I always kind of figured since they were doing it as a strap, there's not a pinfall loss. Or, or I should say, it's it's it, it's it's enough of a uh, wiggle room with the gimmick that you know that you can say that the babyface loses, but 
if it was a traditional match, he probably wouldn't have lost. So I think they really are trying to run with the push on carrying cross. I don't know how far up he'll get. I mean, obviously he's not going to beat Roman anytime soon. I'm, I'm positive of that, but I, I am interested to see how far up he gets and whether people will accept him at a, uh, uh, at, at the level they're pushing him at. I, I've never really been a fan of strap matches. It's it's rarely, rarely that I've, that I've enjoyed one. So I've kind of turned off from this match right from the get-go. And that plus Karrion Cross, who I really couldn't give two burps about. Um, so this adds up to the, eh, that I talked about before. I will say I did like the beginning when Karrion refused to put on the strap and then he's just beat the crap out of Drew, and they went brawling into the crowd before it even officially started. I was okay with that. Everything after that was kind of downhill. Um, I'm just glad it wasn't one of those stupid four-corner strap matches where you got to touch the top turnbuckle. I'm glad they've done away with that because that's just asinine. So, yeah, this was this was a match that happened. And next, we had the Raw women's title on the line in a ladder match. Bianca Belair defended against Bailey. And again, this is one of those things I think I said it last week where it's just like Bailey's coming back after this horrible leg injury. She had to learn to walk again. And so they just sort of were in a ladder match. But as far as expectations, I, I thought it was fine. I mean, it's not the greatest ladder match of all time, but I mean, women doing a ladder match uh, except for the money in the bank. It doesn't seem to be that much that that often they do that. I know this was saying it's the first time they've done a women's ladder match for the women's title. I don't know if that's true or not, but I have no reason to believe it's not, but yeah, this was uh, perfectly fine. As I like to say for what it was meant to be. And I think I predicted Bailey to win. So even though my pick lost, I was, I was still fine with how it, how it happened. I didn't really want to get too much into this one because Bailey, and then it's like, well, ladder match, so um, potential for for destruction, and then didn't want to watch it because Bianca's hair. And then, oh, ladder match, potential for destruction. So I watched it. Um, I thought that 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 finishing, you want to call it a finishing move, where Bianca finally planted Bailey with that um, that flippy thing where she smashed her face on the ladder. And like legit busted her. I thought that was a really cool spot. Um, but yeah, it's okay. Yeah, Matt for a ladder match for me. That would be the KOD on the ladder to end it. Uh, yeah, that was a rough spot, and Bailey was busted up hard way. Uh, I mean, what else can happen when your face bounces off a ladder? Oh, right uh, on the chin. <laughs> uh, they need to get better ladders because these ladders were falling apart, literally. Um, uh, one thing I did not like about this was that, uh, Dakota Kai and EO Sky came in and Bianca just handled all three of them by herself. So uh, how dominating is damage control and how much do they run raw the women's division? Cause Bianca just handled all three of them by herself. So <laughs> now what? You just damaged the whole, no pun intended. You just damaged the entire group by having the the babyface champ just take them all out by herself. Double KOD on the tag team champs, and she had no problem dispatching of the challenger. Fantastic. In an I Quit match, Edge took on Finn Balor of Judgment Day. This was certainly not the best in-ring match, but it was the one that had the most drama. You know, th this was pretty much right out of that mid to late 90s. I don't want to say attitude, Eric, because ECW was doing it as well. These matches that were high on drama and had the huge bumps and such. And I think we all pretty much predicted the way it was going to go because he said there's nothing you can do physically to me. So, of course, they do the nasty deeds to uh, Beth to get him to give up. So it, w it was very good on drama, probably went a bit too long. I think it did drag a bit, but the ending made up for it. I thought the ending was very suspenseful. And now, as we found out on Raw, we probably got the next chapter in that as far as uh, where we're going to get some multi-man team matches. So 
Yeah, overall, I'd, I'd give a thumbs up to this match. Yeah, I pretty much agreed with you, Seth. The match was all right, but I think I even messaged you, Josh. I was like, I love the booking in this match. And that was that was the, the kicker for me was the way they finished this one off. That was just, that was pretty tremendous storytelling. Um, it sets up all kinds of things going forward. You know, most notably, Rhea and Beth, which should be amazing. And yes. what's that? I said that should be good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to that for sure. Um, so yeah, so that, I mean, the match was what it was, but I was more into the story uh, of of this match and that the last few minutes, the uh, the storytelling, the drama, as you put it, Seth was really good. So that that sealed it for me. This match went nearly thirty minutes, and I had heard that most of Edge's matches since he's come back have been thirty minutes. Uh, and they chalk it up to a guy who had his career taken away from him. And now in his second chance, he's going to get out there for as long as he can and have as much fun as he can. Well, that's fine and all, but God damn, 30 minute matches. Fuck. Um, <laughs> the, the drama was good. Uh, we all kind of called it. I love the spot where he quits and then Rhea goes, you taught us too well. Bam. Concerto anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was an amazing sell of that concerto she popped up from the impact and then did not move a muscle aside from a single like finger twitch when they were checking on her did not move like she was almost legitimately out and from the angle they shot the concerto you couldn't even tell of you know the the quote-unquote secret of how they do that uh it looked like she pretty much waylaid her so very well done on the production on that and and kudos to Rhea for the shot in the main event in a fight pit seth freaking rollins took on matt riddle with special referee daniel cormier yeah i'd said before that i will give wwe credit for pushing a new type of gimmick match. I, mean, I know they've done this in NXT before, the, this fight pit gimmick, but to headline a major show with it, if you want to call Extreme Rules a major show, I thought that took a little bit of guts. And for what it was, I mean, I think the announcers were trying to cover a bit too much because they were talking about how, oh, well, if they're up on the top of the cage, well, then they can't count, which makes zero sense. You know, it's like saying you can't win the match on the outside, but it's like, you're in a cage. Those shelves or whatever you want to call them at the top of the cage would still be part of the cage. That that made no sense. I can see not wanting to count count a pinfall, but I would certainly think that trying to count for uh, the 10 count, I don't see how that would be inhibited at all. But I thought Cormier did, did a good job. I mean, he if you're going to have a guest referee, the whole point of a guest referee is so that he can do things normal referees wouldn't do. You know, like that time where he did scoop up, uh, can't remember if it was Rollins or if it was uh, Riddle, but he basically like scooped him up, just got into his face. Um, you know, a normal ref probably wouldn't be able to do that. And that's the whole idea. It wouldn't surprise me if it leads to a match down the road as well. But uh, for what they were trying to do, the story was fine. I think everybody was expecting the closing antics to happen, which which is what we got. And when we, I suppose we can get to that in a minute, but. The only complaint I had about this is like right after Riddle won, it's just like there's like, oh okay, all right, well let you know let's uh enough of the match, let's yeah don't get to don't the include, main event don't include the next segment. We're just talking about the match here. Yeah, <laughs> this is probably number two on the card for me as far as match work goes. Um, I love DC in this match, and like you're talking about like the the rough interaction. Um, he he's a <laughs> he's a legit. Badass. So if he wanted to get involved, um, I actually wish they would have done more. I I would have loved to seen him tossing guys around the ring or something. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it was it was good the way they used him. And uh, yeah, it's, it was kind of the end of the end of the story, I guess, end of the trilogy, however you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I think you know Seth has had had Riddle's number for so long. It was time for Riddle to do his thing. And um, yeah, logical end of the story. My uh, watching ability of this was delayed. And by the time I got to watching it, it was really late. 
And so I fell asleep from the I quit match and I woke up just as Riddle hit the Broton off the top uh, ledge or whatever. So I did go back and watch the I quit match, but I didn't have it in me to go back and watch this match in its entirety. So I only saw the Broton and then the finish and holy hell can Riddle sell like nobody's business because I thought he legit <laughs> broke Seth's ribs and his own ribs on that spot. Yeah. Um, I completely forgot Cormier was the referee and I couldn't spot him out of a lineup. So I just thought it was a normal referee until they zoomed in on him. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Daniel Cormier. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure this was not as good as some of the fight pits from NXT. Uh, I don't even remember other than Timothy Thatcher. I don't even remember who was in the other fight pit it might have been riddle and champa perhaps but i know riddle's been in all of them so it's the new casket match oh dear <laughs> so yeah um people watching this ple uh were treated to a another video uh clip i guess of the white rabbit in the in the opening of the ple and then we were all trying to figure out where he was going to interrupt and appear and, and nothing had gone on. Not in the Drew Carrion match, not in the Edge Finn match, not in the main event. And um, the, the end, so to speak, came when Riddle and Cormier went up the ramp. The title card came up. And just like the Royal Rumble where I get amnesia about everybody's entrance themes, I forgot about the Triple H fake out. And the title <laughs> card comes up and then the lights go out and everybody knows exactly what's happening. And folks, if you do something right, that's not always a bad thing to have predictability. So the lights go out, all the cell phone lights come on, all the fireflies are out. And we get a slow, methodical version of he's got the whole world in his hands and Philadelphia goes banana. And then we cut to Zoom shots of live versions of the puppets from Firefly Funhouse. We had Huskus the Pig. We had Ramblin' Rabbit. We had uh, Mercy the Buzzard. We had Sister Abigail. And we even had The Fiend, a much shorter-looking Fiend, but The Fiend nonetheless. And these were all zoomed in, spotlighted, and then the light would go off and they would go on to the next one. And then we get to the stage where there's a door surrounded by what looks like parts of a tree and water effects to make it look like a swamp. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we're flashing back to the Swamp match at Extreme Rules 2020. Fantastic. So, uh, and then on the Tron, we get an image of the Firefly Funhouse as we left it. And except it's dark and it's dingy and it's got dust and cobwebs and all the puppets are buried under cobwebs. And then it cuts to a television. And on the TV is a very digitized and uh, poor reception uh, effects, but it's obviously Bray Wyatt in a new mask and he's laughing. And what I could make out at the time was he was repeating the who killed the world, why you did, and then more laughing and then cut back to the door, except this time there's a blue glow around the door and then the door busts open, huge blue light, crowds going crazy again, and then the lights go out, and then a single blue lantern light is appeared, and it, it slowly moves towards the front, and it is revealed that we have a new mask, and the person takes off the mask, and it is in fact revealed to be Bray Wyatt. And because of the crowd going crazy again, you can barely make out what Bray says. 
but he says, I'm here, and then goes to blow out the lantern, and they flash up a new graphic for his logo, and he, we officially fade to black. Yeah, this is the theatrics that WWE does. I mean, nobody's going to do this better than WWE does. Um, I really can't comment on the masks and all that stuff because it really was just kind of the theatrics to get to uh, him and mask. It's clear he's not going to be the fiend anymore. So I did hear that there are parts of this that were a tribute to uh, Brody Lee's debut in AEW because that because he came through a big, bright, brightly lit, shining door as well. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'd heard that that was that that was the idea was it was a kind of a tribute to uh, his debut. So there there was another one. The person who was Sister Abigail wore the mask that Brody wore when he was in Bludgeon Brothers. Oh, okay. And uh, but but I mean, for what? we were expecting at least what I was expecting. It exceeded my expectations. I was, I was figuring it was going to be something that was just a big theatrics debut. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. We don't know if he's going to be a baby face or a heel or, or where he's going to go. So it'll be interesting to see when he shows up finally on SmackDown. Yeah. Nobody does spectacle like WWE does. That was pretty awesome. I like the, how, how um, Michael Cole sold the, the, the triple H um, swerve. At the start there, he's like, are we even still on the air right now? Like, what's happening? That was kind of cool. But, yeah, that was superb theatrics. I love Bray Wyatt's mind. That was really well put together. Um, and maybe now we have somebody that may beat Roman down the line, perhaps. No, keep the title away. If we didn't learn anything from the first time, do not rush <laughs> this man towards a title. But as far well, as... I don't mean now. I said, like, later. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's a long let, way let away. Him do what he does. Let him be creative. No titles right now. <laughs> Going to give everybody Saudi Arabia flashbacks and Hell in the Cell <laughs> flashbacks. Um, yeah, this was great. I was half asleep when I first watched it. Obviously, as I had said, I fell asleep. But had I been fully awake, I'm sure I would have had goosebumps. This was so well done. This was amazing. I've seen it several times since then. It's just great. Um, yeah. Like I said, it was obvious everybody and their brother knew it was way, uh, way Bryant. Wow. Everybody and their brother knew it was Bray Wyatt since the QR code started popping up and the whole white rabbit thing. But like I said, if you do it well, it doesn't matter about the predictability. So, uh now the now everybody's still speculating is this the Wyatt Six, the the funhouse come to life and who's who and everybody's guessing and speculating and people are like oh that was Baron Corbin as uh, Mercy the Buzzard. Wait, no it couldn't have been cuz that guy had uh no tattoos on his arm and Baron has tattoos and everybody's a detective now and so that's been the success of this whole thing is the way it's been marketed, marketed and uh, distributed. Everybody can be involved. Everybody has theories. Everybody can be a junior detective. It's gotten everybody to participate and everybody can figure out their own clues and come to their own conclusions. And I think that's great. So extreme rules on the whole thoughts. I enjoyed the show as a whole. There have been better WWE shows. I think we've said before that there's times when the show doesn't look as good on paper that the talent tends to put on their working boots. And I think there's examples of that happening, like I said, going back to that uh, opening match. But, yeah, I I would say this is a good show, not the best show they've had, uh, but certainly far from the worst. Yeah, I think this is one of the, the weaker in-ring ones. Uh, of the year, but there was some decent storytelling. Like I said, the, the I quit match, um, obviously the, the Bray Wyatt bit. Um, so I will go with thumbs in the middle, maybe kind of leaning up at middle-ish. Yeah, some of the booking didn't make sense, i.e. damage control. Uh, some of it fell right in line with what we thought, and then the ending pretty much gave it a boost. So I, I would tend to agree. 
All right. Uh, prediction results. I screwed the pooch and finished three and three for six points. Seth was four and two for 13 points. And Jarrett was five and one for 16 points. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, a couple things from Raw just that I wanted to bring up before we get into our fantasy booking. And so Raw the following Monday saw some good stuff and some bewildering stuff. And uh, we saw the return of the good brothers, Gallows and Anderson to WWE. The funny thing is I just messaged you guys Monday afternoon saying, oh, they might return within a month or (laughs) within a few hours, whichever comes first. So (laughs) we had the return of Gallows and Anderson. Uh, We also had a return... And I cringed when I saw it, or when I heard the music, I should say. The return of Brock Lesnar. Ugh, God, why? And when I say God, why, it's easily answered by Saudi money, because there's Saudi money to be had, and we're probably going to get Brock and Bobby Lashley at Crown Jewel. I want to get your thoughts on Bobby Lashley and what they did to the U.S. title. Yes, it's on Seth Rollins now, but I feel like we just flushed away the last few months of trying to build up the United States title and Bobby Lashley, especially with their no world title being on Raw. And now we just had him being bitched out to Brock Lesnar because reasons. And, uh, he stupidly defended the title, even though he was injured. Uh, what do you think? Are you in favor of this? Do you agree with my thought on it? Or do you have something separate? I just never liked when, because WWE will do this uh, pretty often. They'll have a guy lose a whole bunch of matches and then they think they make it good by giving him a title. When really that hurts the title more than anything. And, I mean, Seth Rollins as the U.S. champion alone is is fine, but they had him lose, like, all of his big matches before then, and they played it out like he only beat Bobby Lashley because Brock Lesnar attacked Bobby Lashley before the match. So who actually thinks that Seth's a credible champion right now? And they probably did it so that when they do their match, Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar... I mean, maybe they thought the U.S. title would have been too small for Brock to go for it. I'm not defending it if that's their idea. Uh, I I would think if anything, um, having him still the champion would actually elevate the title more. But I think you're right. They're, they're probably doing it because they'll have the, the strong number two match uh, for their uh, Saudi show because I don't think anybody buys Logan Paul as being a credible threat to Roman Reigns. But we know that Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar will be a pretty good hoss fight. One thing concerning uh, uh, Gallows and Anderson is Carl uh, Anderson still the never open weight champion in New Japan. Uh, he has yet to drop that title. And this is one of those things that I think is different with Hunter calling the shots or, or even Stephanie calling the shots, I would imagine in this case, than uh, Vince is... What probably would have happened under events is they would have wound up stripping Carl Anderson of the title because he would have signed with WWE because they did a similar thing with Shinsuke Nakamura back in 2016. I think he was still the intercontinental champion in new Japan and they wound up stripping him of the title because he signed with WWE with Hunter and Steph. They might, they'll very well might give uh, Anderson the chance to drop the title and do business, so to speak whenever the next big uh, New Japan show is, and then, you know, go on from there. So uh, I, I've i been a fan of Gallows Anderson since I saw them in New Japan. Um, obviously, I'd knew, known of Gallows for his days before New Japan when he was Luke Gallows and, and all that, and Festus and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, with uh, AJ uh, Gallows and Anderson against the... Uh, Judgment Day, that should be some very good uh, six-man tag matches. So a lot of fun to be had. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about the Bobby Lashley thing other than 
perhaps it's like Seth Rollins is hot and they wanted to reward him. I don't know. Did it, does it work? I don't know. Does it make sense to not have Brock and Lashley work for the title? Yes. I don't want Brock anywhere around the title. Um, but I think it was kind of all spur of the moment. Sounds like there was a last minute decision made somewhere. It sounds like it was Vince, but obviously it's not. Um, so I'm not sure what was going on there, but it's not a lot of good being connected as far as that goes. Uh, with with the Good Brothers, um, I hope that they're not they're not going to be the the comedy side that they kind of were before. I wasn't wasn't a fan of that. I know these are a couple of bad dudes, and I think with uh, being fired up with AJ against uh, Judgment Day right away is going to be a good thing. I think we'll get some good matches with us, like like uh, Seth said. And yeah, um, Brock and Lashley will be a hoss fight, and like yeah, that'll be a good match again, like you said, because <laughs> like who thinks who thinks Logan Paul is going to beat Roman Reigns? It's not going to happen. It's absolutely not going to happen at all. Period. Yeah, some good, some bad going on. Is the Miz and Dexter Loomis the new twenty four seven division in terms of who gives a fuck? I know I've talked about this for the last few episodes, but it's still not going anywhere. Granted, we're getting a match next week where if Dexter wins, he gets a contract. Big fucking deal. This has taken way too long. They could have shaved several weeks off of this, and we still don't know his intentions or motivations at all. I'm so done with this storyline. The thing is, is both of these characters, I think, fit best as heels. Um you know, Miz is a terrible babyface, and, and the Loomis look just doesn't really look like a babyface to me. So I think that's part of it. And as much as I like Miz, he's one of those guys that in, in the ring, I mean, he can go, but he's he's best with guys that are better than him. And I'm not an in-ring critic, but I haven't really been in, impressed with these great uh, Dexter Loomis matches. So, yeah, the whole angle is just... Silly stuff for me. This is this is the type of stuff that uh, I know it's not happening, but it's the type of stuff that makes you think somehow Vince still has inputs because this seems like the type of stuff that would make him laugh. Well, I I know that WWE is making a bit of a lean towards more long term storytelling, which I think is a good thing. Um, they need to mix it up with some short term stuff, obviously. But uh, was this does, does this particular angle need long term stuff? I don't know. I think if if Dexter Loomis would have kidnapped Miz off the hop, like make some appearances, scare him, stalk him, whatever, kidnap him and then be done with it. Right. Have your demands do rants, whatever you're going to do with it. Like the kidnapping should have been the end of it. Yeah. It dragged on way too long. Uh, agreed with that. Does, does anyone think that Dexter Loomis is going to lose this match? Nope. <laughs> Otherwise I bother with the stipulation. Exactly. So, um, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the destination is is known, and you get to enjoy the journey on the way, but this is a, one of those where I haven't really enjoyed the journey very much. Um, yeah, they could have done this all kinds of different ways. They made it better. They, they just they overdid it completely on this one. They took long-term storytelling, and they forgot about the telling part. It's been long-term story stagnation. He kidnaps him or he puts him to sleep every week for him to come back the next week like nothing happened great so interesting and lastly uh, as far as it goes with raw uh, we had the 25th anniversary of dx and if you all don't feel old shame on you um <laughs> I, i'm glad they kept it short and sweet i'm glad they didn't punk anybody out and Corey graves give him credit for the line of the night i hear billy gunn is doing things with office equipment now <laughs> I was actually uh, half expecting a daddy ass chant, but I guess I guess we didn't get one. <laughs> I'm still hoping that maybe we can get a one-off appearance by Bart Gunn and AUW as Uncle Ass. Jeez. I'm just glad they kept it short. I think it ran eight or nine minutes, which was fine. Um, any kind of extended stuff just would have been overkill. Um, I like Triple H when he's like, Hang on a minute. I need to take a breath. <laughs> you know, they, they're acknowledging that they're old and and um, they don't need to be out there for too long. So that that worked for me. It was good. If this was the Vince era, he would have written in a joke about the defibrillator in his chest. 
Yeah. All right. So 12 episodes ago, we had a fantasy draft. We were all picking our wrestlers, our rosters, and we were given the assignment to create a promotion, create a super card, create matches, titles, whatever you wanted to do. But you had to pick a promotion name, run an official arena, name your super card, and uh, tell us on how you came to all the conclusions. So... Uh, do we want to get my crappy one out of the way first, or do we want to put that at the uh, end? If you want to go first, that's fine by me. You're the host, man. Do whatever you want. Well, uh, here's here's the thing. I, all I have booked are my four title matches uh, and the name and the arena and the promotion. Uh, I lost interest in this a long time ago, mainly because my life's been crazy this year, and I'm ready for it to be 2023. But that's a whole nother uh, podcast. Uh, so my uh, promotion is Podcast Community Wrestling, PCW. Uh, <laughs> the Super Show is now That's What I Call Wrestling. Comes with its own soundtrack. Uh, it ha- emanates from the Now Arena in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, my main event especially because when I booked this main event, it was still a possibility in real life. Now, not so much uh, for multiple reasons on both parties' sides. But for the main event for the PCW world title, CM Punk versus Adam Cole. (laughs) Yeah. One guy's out to pasture, and the the other guy might be close to retirement from a concussion. So, yay, inspiration. Uh, for the PC, a match though. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll fire up WWE 2K and I can do it that way. Uh, for the PCW women's title match, Rhea Ripley will take on Becky Lynch. It's one of those matches that we got in NXT in 2019 during the buildup for War Games, but it never happened again beyond that. Um, maybe in 2023, we'll have to see. Uh, my tag team titles are being decided in a fatal four-way with red dragon lucha brothers imperium and the creed brothers and lastly in a match that could happen in real life and and might be around the same as uh the current feud that we're getting but for the pcw intercontinental title i am putting Walter against kevin owens and i think that might be somewhere close to the Gunther Tommaso Champa match that we got in NXT. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately those are the only matches I booked. Um, I can't even get to the win. Well, hindsight being 2020, I would probably put Cole over punk Ripley over Lynch. Uh, I'd put the tag belts on the Creed brothers and I'd give the intercontinental title to Valter. So, that is the uh, car rental bare bones booking version. Uh, so we will get to Seth with your okay. promotion. Take it away. All right. Well, I actually forgot about naming the promotion, so I'm just going to pull a name uh, out of my duff and just say, you know, like, I don't know, ZCW or something like that, ZWF. I'll have to find them, you know, Z can stand for Xandrax or whatever, but... Yeah. Just a side note there in, in Canada, we call it ZWF. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, uh, I couldn't help but notice during our picks afterwards, I didn't notice during the picks, I noticed afterwards that we all basically picked mid-carters and up. So maybe I can say that this is one of those um, super cards like a, like a Tokyo Dome would have or something like that where it might have uh, other promotions having their titles decided. I, I don't know, but that, that's the only way I could justify uh, a card like this in, in, in my own head. But I have uh, five titles, and then I got, uh, I think, about five uh, contendership titles as well. And I guess I'll work my way up. Uh, we, we have the, uh, we, we, we have my hoss fight. You know, I, I've 
mentioned Haas fights at least twice before in this this match so or in this show. So my Haas fight would be Drew McIntyre versus Miro. Um, I'm not sure what title I would have them geared towards, but that would just be the let's just get the two big, mean, angry guys and just just have a Haas fight. My contendership match for the women's title would be Charlotte versus Nikki Cross. No Nikki A.S.H. You know, we're going all in on the punk rock. Uh, just badass Nikki Cross. Um, match time, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd leave that to the agents or whatever, but I would have Nikki win that. My contendership to the tag title would be Finn Juice of Juice Robinson and David Finley, you know, Fit Finley's son. And they would face and beat uh, the Young Bucks. That would be a pretty amazing match. And they've had matches in uh, New Japan before, so I'd, I'd known what those guys were for. Now, I have three uh, top championships, singles championships. That may be too many. I don't know. But, again, I was trying to justify why all these big names were in here. So it's like, well, I guess they'd have titles. So I would have a heavyweight title. I would have a cruiserweight title because I actually think weight, weight divisions can work if you do them well. And I'm kind of using, I'm really, I'm using New Japan as my uh, my uh, blueprint here. Got a heavyweight title, a cruiserweight title, and then I have an open weight title. And that's the one where the heavyweights and the cruiserweights can mix and match because, I mean, you could have cruiserweights go after the heavyweight title, but you couldn't have a heavyweight guy go after a cruiserweight title. That's where the open weight comes in, and you could have big guys versus little guys and all that, and it would work. So my top contenders for my open weight title would be Jay White uh, versus Shinsuke Nakamura. And there's history that could be told here because the uh, uh, Jay White was the is the current leader of Bullet Club. Nakamura is the former leader of Chaos. You can bring history in there. But uh, I like Nakamura, so I would give him the win. Jay White's one of those guys. He can lose a big match and then just kill somebody in the, the next match he has the next day, and he'll be right back where he was. My top contenders for the Cruiserweight title would be Sami Zayn and Jay Lethal. They would have their match, and I would give the win to Sami Zayn there. He would go on to challenge for the Cruiserweight title. And then the number one contendership for the heavyweight title would be Randy Orton, who's kind of my grizzled veteran in my group, uh, versus Hangman Page. I would have Hangman pull off the upset. And Orton, who is playing the heel, you might get the moment where there's like the, the little bit of respect where he's like, uh, you know, holy crap, I got beat, something to that effect. And he just kind of walks to the back by himself. More on that later. Now we have the title matches. I would have my champion, who would be uh, Natty Neidhart, uh, against Britt Baker. I would have Natty retain. So we're teasing doing Natty against uh, Nikki Cross. My tag team champions are FTR, and they would retain the titles over the challenge of the New Day. And then, again, looks like we're getting a uh, FTR uh, Finn Juice match out of that. And in the open weight slot, MJF would be the champion, and he would actually lose the title to AJ Styles. This would be like the conclusion of their feud. We're setting up AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. And I know we've seen that match before, but those guys can have 10 matches in a row, and they'd all be great, and they'd all be different. In the cruiserweight, we would have Pac as the, as the heel champion and Johnny Gargano as the babyface uh, challenger. Johnny Gargano wins. And that means we're going to have babyface Johnny Gargano against heel Sami Zayn for the cruiserweight title. I, who would say no to that? I mean, I think most people would be like, yes, sign me up for that. And the main event, the world champion, Kazuchika Okada, with his manager, Paul Heyman, 
And he would be defending against John Moxley, who I would still have paired with William Regal. This would mean in the buildup, we'd certainly have promo wars between Heyman and Regal that would probably sell the match alone just on their interaction. And this is going off the what we saw earlier with Orton, with him kind of second-guessing himself because he lost to Hangman. Uh, Orton makes his way out to the ring. And the big reveal, when there's a distraction, Orton RKO's Moxley. And Okada gets the win. Basically, Orton helps Okada win the title. There's this kind of alliance going on here. It's like, he says, screw it, I'm just going to be a heel anyway. We do set up Okada versus Hangman. But the story that I will be telling here is eventually Orton is going to turn. And we're going to get Orton versus Okada for the title some t- you know, months down the road. You know, they, they would have their alliance and then eventually Orton would turn babyface for that. Because I know you, you guys probably don't agree with me, but one of my dream matches is Okada versus Randy Orton. And rather than book that match here, I would tease that match for the next uh, several months. So that's how I had it. Oh, and I'd probably do it at uh, Wintrust Arena, also in Chicago. That's over by, I think, uh, McCormick Place, if I recall correctly. But uh, so that's my card. And uh, Jerry, you get to take us home. All righty. Um, okay, so I've... Uh... But a name very similar to to Josh's. I, I was going to go with PCW, but there's actually a PCW here in Winnipeg. So I went to uh, PCCW Peg City Championship Wrestling. Uh, the name of the card is Risk and Reward. And the host city right here, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, the, the best pro wrestling city in, in the world. And the venue is Canada Life Center, our big arena here. So... I've got 11 matches. Um, I've got some contenderships happening. I've got um, my tag title tournament happening. I have my women's championship happening. And I have my men's number one contenders are going to get crowned uh, to battle at a future date. So the whole idea behind risk risk and reward is a kind of a concept I came up with. I don't know if it's any good or not, so you can either like it or not. Um, Given the the wrestlers a, a choice, between do you want to go for it all and and risk injury in in a gimmick match or do you want to wrestle and go through a series of matches to get to the contendership um or or to the title match and so this is happening across the card uh, across all the divisions um so for the uh the tag team title match the very first thing that's happening is uh jungle boy and luchasaurus and the street profits and keith lee and swerve strickland chose risk so they get into a hardcore tlc elimination match and finally uh jungle boy and luchasaurus win that one after a standing concerto um we get into our first heavyweight championship normal contenders qualifying match um this is a straight wrestling match roman ed roman versus edge and uh we get a distraction by um a a man in a hoodie at ringside uh, jumps up on the ring and uh, uh, distracts Edge. So Roman can hit him with a spear. Roman wins that one. Uh, we get into our uh, uh, tag title quarterfinal match. Um, Sting and Darby Allen versus Chad Gable and Otis. And Sting and Darby Allen win that one after a cob- coffin drop on Gable. Another tag title quarterfinal match. Usos and Rude and Ziggler. Uh, Usos win that one with the uh, the double Uso splash on on Robert Rude. Uh, a heavyweight contenders match. Uh, Wheeler Yuta versus Ricochet, and uh, Wheeler wins that one as he taps Ricochet with the seatbelt. Um, another heavyweight contenders match. Uh, Claudio versus Chris Jericho, and Claudio wins that one with a neutralizer. Uh, tag title tournament semifinal match. Uh, the Usos versus Sting and Darby Allen. The Usos win this one. Uh, they get a pin on Sting after they hit him with six super kicks. Uh, <laughs> that's how I booked that one for fun there. Um, <clears throat> then we get to go to our, our women's match. So all of our women's, the women, women's, uh, were, were given the risk and reward choice. They all chose risk. So they all get to go into a ladder match. Um, so Tiffany Stratton, Raquel Rodriguez, Naomi, Ronda Rousey, 
Nikita Lyons, Liv Morgan, Paige Van Zandt, Ava Rain, Ruby Soho, all get into a ladder match. Um, the one significant thing that happens before the end is is Ronda and Paige get brawling and end up spilling out of the ring, and they just kind of battle their way to the back um, and beat the crap out of each other outside the ring. Um, this one ends with Tiffany Stratton hitting Liv Morgan with a reverse STO, so she becomes my women's champion here on this card. Um, following up in the, the tag title tournament, uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus versus the Usos. Uh, this is for the, the championship, actually, as we've gone through the card. Uh, the Usos win this one after a double super kick and a 1D on Jungle Boy. So our new uh, and inaugural tag team champions are the Usos. And our last two matches are, are will crown our number one contenders uh, for their our world title which will happen later on um so on the reward side roman reigns versus claudio versus wheeler yuda and roman reigns wins this one with the guillotine on on wheeler yuda and in the main event the other half of the number one contendership is i'm pulling an idea and josh you might mark out for this i don't know but i'm bringing back the pier six brawl baby and uh <laughs> we're having some shenanigans happen so um for, the, for those of you that don't know what the Pier 6 Brawl is, it's a match where it's essentially the ring is surrounded by barbed wire, and um, you cross the, bar, the barbed wire over a bridge to get into the ring, and we have a Royal Rumble from there, really. And when you get tossed out, you get tossed out into, into a sea of barbed wire. Um, when we get to the final two, uh, a cell drops around there, so... You have to get out of the ring, through the barbed wire, and then exit the cell to, to win the match. So people get ripped up and beat up, and it's nice and hardcore and awesome. So in this match, um, we have Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, Brian Danielson, Solo Sokoa, Brian Cage, Max Dupree, Jacob Fatu, and EC3. And throughout this match, um, Sokoa and... Jacob Fatu get eliminated, and they get walking to the back, and Roman kind of comes out and stands there. Rollins wins this one, and as Rollins comes out, he's him and Roman do the big stare down on the ramp, and that uh, kind of books us towards them meeting down the road. So I, I, I do not have a middle championship due to the size of the roster uh, yet. That'll be coming later if we go forward on this, but uh, yeah, there we go. No PLE reveal of who was in the hood? Not yet. Aw. Not yet. That's going to give you a reason to tune in, man. <laughs> Ratings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it took us longer than we anticipated, but, you know, 12 episodes, better late than never. Uh, you can blame the wrestling world of news uh, for half of that because... When we get to the year-end awards and we talk about the news story of the year, there's going to be about 15 candidates and we're going to <laughs> eliminate 14 of them. And, yeah, that's going to be difficult. might be a 15-way tie. I don't know. There's a lot of news. A lot of things happened this year. And we still got a couple months left. Uh, so, yeah, we finally got to our fantasy booking. Uh, next PLE or pay-per-view, I believe, as it stands right now, is full gear in the beginning of November. Uh, they haven't really said that there was going to be a Ring of Honor show again, um, at least at this point. So we're looking at full gear, then two weeks later, Survivor Series, and then nothing until uh, day one. But that'll start the new calendar year. Two major shows, Josh. What's the the point totals for the year? Point totals. I don't think that I don't think there's a chance of catching up. Right now, as it stands through Extreme Rules, Jarrett has 271 points. I have 244 points, and Seth has 222 points. Even if I were to come up with some kind of 50-point match, <laughs> I still don't think anything's going to come of it because we would probably all pick the same person anyway. Um, yeah, so likely that Jarrett has obviously the point victory, but 
the records are still fairly reasonably close. Jarrett and I are still off by one, and Seth is off uh, second place from by ten. So a lot of things can still change and reposition themselves record-wise anyway. Uh, yep. So we will see. Next week, I think we are going to get into uh, an episode that I have been planning for a while, but because we had to keep pushing the fantasy booking back, we had to push this one back. But next week, we're going to talk wrestling news, obviously, but also featured will be entrance theme downgrades. We're each going to contribute three to five picks. So this is your homework assignment. Hint, hint. Uh, you have to pick entrance themes that were great or good, in your opinion, and then they got a new theme, and it was a huge downgrade, in your opinion. And we'll cultivate our lists and come up with a top ten. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to the Wrestling Brethren Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast fix to hear the latest discussion from the Wrestling Brethren. You can visit us at TWBpodcast.com for posts and episodes. Visit the mothership, if you will, at BehindTheSquaredCircle.com, home of the Behind the Squared Circle podcast network. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and comments at Twitter at TWBP Show, on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Behind the Squared Circle, and on Instagram at The Wrestling Brethren. You can follow Jared on Twitter at The Bacon Rev, and you can follow Josh at Southpaw Josh. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you again soon with more from The Wrestling Brethren.